0: I love women and I want to be able to share my story to help them, not that I'm the solution, I'm not, (laughs) to point them to the solution and say, hey, come this way, don't go down that path anymore. There's another path for you.
1: You're listening to the mental health download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. And on today's episode, we have such an amazing and inspirational conversation with Shannon Phillips of the She Can Be Free podcast. And the reason that we have Melissa Baldwin here co-hosting, and she actually leads this interview is Melissa's is friends with Shannon. We actually just finished this interview with Shannon, and so this is the part where we can talk about the takeaways and what you hope the audience gets from this interview. So Melissa So what were your big takeaways from this interview with Shannon Phillips?
2: Well, you know, when you're reading a book and like you want to highlight more than there are words unhighlighted, that's kind of how this one was. I encourage anyone to listen. Some of the biggest takeaways for me were that bravery in women does exist and vulnerability and courage is liberating and freeing and life redeeming that there's also a very personal and spiritual nature to each story. And when we are still, I don't know how many times I've heard the quote, be still a know." That's what Shannon did in her, her journey and to create ways of support and help for other women who are not alone. And so I would encourage everyone to listen closely get your own takeaways and remember to be still a no because then she can be free
1: yeah all right full full transparency so right now we actually have shannon still on the google Meet's meeting and so as melissa was saying that shannon was wiping tears from her eyes and i think that says so much about this interview so let's get to it the mental health download starts now
2: So Shannon, if you don't mind, would you rewind just a a little bit for me and tell me some more about your unique journey and story?
0: So I'm at home during this time, just spending time with family, having a lot of quiet time, a lot of meditation time, and I just cannot shake this compassion for other women that are stuck at home right now maybe in some unhealthy behaviors or unhealthy thought patterns because we don't have the distractions. We're really good at, at pouring ourselves into those distractions so that we don't hear what's going on inside. And so a lot of us just don't know how to sit with ourselves and that can exhibit itself in alcohol use, numbing, overworking binging on Netflix, not that there's anything wrong with Netflix, but, you know, doing things in an excess so that we don't have to listen to the voices inside and sit with ourselves. So at first, my main worry was honestly, women in the laundry room, drinking and hiding and crying because that used to be me. (laughs) So I used to homeschool my children, while also, you know, running a business and renovating our home. And I was I was very addicted to busy and the way that I coped with that was drinking alcohol. And the way that I numbed the voices inside and all the things that I hadn't dealt with in my past was to drink alcohol. And that only worked until it didn't, <laughs> until the medicine became the problem. So I went to treatment. I've I've been sober for two years and I'm just very, very incredibly amazed at where my life is right now. And I've I've learned a lot of tools and have gained a lot of wisdom from other women. And I just feel like it's so important for us to be honest about our stories, about our mental health. It's, it's such a, we live in a society where women are expected to be so many things and to hide our shame and to hide in the dark and to hide our weaknesses. And so I really wanted to create a space where I was just honest about my story, and it would give permission to other women to be honest about theirs and to know that there's help available. So I created the podcast. Originally, it was going to maybe just be a podcast, but it has since morphed into um, a podcast. I've been doing some one-on-one coaching. I'm creating an online course around self-love and appreciation. So it's really been this Beautiful flowering and unfolding of, of women coming together.
2: So, Shannon, what you just ran out to us, I mean, I, I think it strikes me, and it did the very first time I listened to your episode as some of the most honest, genuine, mm-hmm. and authentic conversations mm-hmm. in a non judgmental space. Yeah. Uh, what you've created, which I think so many women. Are in desperate need of um, yeah. a deeper connection rather than surface level communication and relationships. Yes. And, and you're telling me this all came out of some tools that you've learned in recovery to learn how to just be still and quiet and mm-hmm. open to what comes next.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it's funny you say that word connection. There's an author that I love, Johan Hari he what he had a really popular ted talk that was about addiction he's written two books one is around addiction and one is around depression but the popular ted talk was that addiction the opposite of addiction isn't recovery the opposite of addiction is connection and it's just such a beautiful beautiful way to look at things because when we're in our addictions we're hiding we're isolated And when we're planted into a community of people that get us and understand and can help us walk through the pain and through the solution, it's not an, it's not a quick fix. It's not, you know, do these 10 things or 12 things and you're fixed. It's a journey. It's lifelong. It's like an onion on peeling off layer after
2: layer after layer. I'm thrilled to hear that you've been sober for two years. Thing. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe what perhaps kind of stressors or relationships or unhealthy models that maybe you learned in childhood yeah. kind of drove you into some of the addiction? Addiction addiction's very multifaceted. Yes. Um, and also any other mental health struggles that may or may not have come along with that to lead you to the point where you got ready to Get real with yourself, and absolutely, and get, like,
0: recovery yeah,
2: recovery and and reap the fruits of that,
0: yeah, okay. that's that's a big package, okay. So my upbringing in my family was incredibly unhealthy. I come from a very dysfunctional home. They both were children of alcoholics, both of my parents. so they they did not drink, but they had all of the characteristics of a very dysfunctional alcoholic home. So my mom was very mentally unstable, had a lot of mental health issues. I think she had 17 surgeries in the midst of my childhood. And so she was always in bed and always sad and always suicidal. And so it was my job as a child to cheer her up, to make sure mom didn't kill herself. And if I didn't make her happy, I felt like I wasn't doing my job.
2: That's a heavy job as a child, Shannon. How old were you when you felt like it was your job to make sure mom was happy?
0: Oh, I mean, since my first memory. Yeah, absolutely. And to go along with that, my dad, I would say, is a rageaholic and was incredibly angry, incredibly verbally abusive to myself, my sister, and my mother. He used to go on rages and beat our dog, just some really... Harmful things. And I even felt responsible for taking care of the dog and, and, you know, grew up with this shame that I didn't protect the dog when I was like seven. (laughs) You know, I look at my children now who are 12 and eight and five and cannot imagine them carrying the burdens that I carried as a child. And so I grew up being a parent to my parents and never got to fully be a child. And that does a lot of things to a human being, both in their heart and their soul, but even neurologically, the way that our brains are wired. I just had this propensity towards fear and anxiety. and was also a little bit energizing. And so I would perform. I was really good at doing well, performing in school or
2: my career, whatever that looked like down the road. So you, you grew up with the, the message or the, the script in your head that it sounds like to earn my worth, I've got to hustle, I've got to produce, I've mm-hmm. got to perform, I've got to please. I've got I'm to make everybody my, happy. Yeah. My own thoughts, desires, needs aside, so that I can try and mm-hmm. prevent my anxiety by trying my best to hustle and please everybody else? Yeah, I didn't know what
0: my thoughts and desires were. There was, mm-hmm. there was no space for that in my brain even. I didn't know how to express those or, or even feel them. Feelings for me were not allowed because there were too many other feelings going on in my upbringing that there was no space for me to have feelings. And my feelings didn't matter because everyone else's feelings were so deadly.
2: Yes, so you shrink down to kind of fit where there's space for you yep. until that doesn't work anymore. Yes. And then what happens is you enter adulthood with those those patterns.
0: So as a teenager, that looked
2: like me running hard
0: and fast from home into early adulthood with lots of boyfriends and trying to find that validation there and that was a place where I felt like I had power because I could control men with sex or that, that they loved me or they approved of me or whatever that looked like. So that was another unhealthy thing. And going into adulthood, meeting my husband, starting a family, all of those things, it was like, okay, once I get my degree, I'll be happy. Once I marry this man I'll be happy. Oh wait, now once I have children. No, once we get a house. No, once once I have a girl because I only had a boy. You know, it was just like once this happens then I'll be okay. But you're chasing a ghost that never happens until you're happy where you are. Right here in this moment in this breath. I know today that I have everything that I need
2: have a real strong grounding presence in your life Mm -hmm. now I can feel it just talking to you when did the switch occur you Mm realize that the light at the end of the tunnel keeps on changing a a book I referenced previously to you Shannon untamed there's Mm -hmm. this bunny that this tiger is chasing endlessly and they're never going to get it, they're never going to yeah. achieve it, you're never going to fulfill your happiness. So, what? and the tiger doesn't to want to chase it?
0: the damn bunny, the tiger wants the fake the tiger bunny, bunny. The, tiger wants the real bunny,
2: right? <laughs> yes, the tiger wants to be free. So, how yes. did you find yeah. your liberation? It sounds like you mm-hmm. hit your limit, you decided this has helped me survive in a way. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I like to point out as a fellow adult child of an alcoholic is that. When you started talking about alcohol, you said it worked until it didn't. Mm-hmm. Some of the behaviors you were describing as, I call it a mini-adults, when you're forced to be more adult than developmentally you should be. Mm-hmm. They served you well mm-hmm. for a time in a way for your situation. Yeah. Then alcoholism maybe served you until it did not. So what made you decide to really dig a little bit deeper, find ways to get into that stillness and find the the lasting freedom or the keys to your liberation.
0: A lot of freaking pain, (laughs) a lot of pain. So my husband and I had completely different schedules. He worked at the hospital, night shift, afternoon shift. He would sleep in the day and then he would work and I would be with the children doing all the laundry and the cooking and all the things. That's not to say that he didn't help at all. It, it, it was just, it was a very unhealthy thing. We like high five down the hallway and didn't know each other. Didn't have a connection anymore. And I would drink my wine and that, that became my connection. And that was how I felt like, Oh, okay. Okay. You know? And one glass became two, two became three, three became four. I started drinking earlier in the day, like, oh, it's, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. And I had to keep increasing the amount in order to get that same feeling. And I love what you said about how those things that I used were tools. They were like a life raft for me. I don't know if I'd be alive if I didn't have those, which is a strange way to look at it. But the life raft, was deflated. And I was still trying to ride the thing. And I was like, Hey, Shannon, you know, you can get out of that. The water is only knee deep. (laughs) It's not, you're not going to drown anymore. That's old. You're not there anymore. And so I just kept having this gnawing feeling like you're drinking too much. You need to stop. And I would try to stop and it would maybe last two weeks at the most, and then I'd be like, "Oh, see, I can do it. I can go without it. I, I, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have a problem. I can control this." And then I would go back to it, and every time I would go back to it, it would get worse. And I would start having conversations that I wouldn't remember. I would start saying things to people that I loved that were very hurtful, and they were against my values as a human being, and. It just really started to rip my soul apart and rip my marriage apart and hurt my children. And so I finally got to the point where I talked to my husband. I was like, babe, well, no, hang on. Rewind. We were in California visiting some friends. And this was also one of those trips that I had too much to drink. One of the nights that we went out, I actually fell asleep in the movie theater and was like moaning, apparently, during the movie. (laughs) So I don't know what I was dreaming about, but yeah, anyway, and I said some really hurtful things to my very best friend and they called me out on it the next day. And I was like, I said, what? Oh my gosh. And it was appalling. But during that trip, we found out that a friend of mine, more of like an acquaintance, my age, small children, beautiful woman, church-going family died. And it was because of alcoholism. And I was like, what, what on the outside? You would never know this family was struggling. You would never ever in a million years know that she had a drinking problem, you know, on Facebook or on Instagram, always smiling. She had a great husband, very supportive, amazing family, what everybody wants the American dream. And she was suffering and she lost her life. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it said, uh, you know, it it was about six years of alcohol abuse. And I thought, wow, I thought like, if you drink a lot, you have like a long time before your liver or your body shuts down. And I, I had that inward thought of like, oh, crap, I only have six years left or five years left of doing this, you know, and that's a really crazy thought because I was like, oh, good, I've got five years left before I have to like change anything, you know, but coming home from that trip, something shifted. And I told my husband, I thought I was an alcoholic and he was like, what? I think you abuse alcohol, but I don't know about alcoholic. And that just showed you how disconnected we were and how well I hid it. And I knew in the depths of my soul that I was addicted to alcohol and I couldn't stop drinking unless I got help. So I went to my first AA meeting. I knew the second, well, maybe five minutes in that those people in that room understood me they were telling my story and i was terrified to go to this meeting and i thought you know alcoholics what they just like live under a bridge and drink out of a brown paper bag they're not moms in suburbia like <laughs> but there were other people there like me and they were telling my story and i was like oh my gosh there's hope there's these people in this room and they're smiling like why are you smiling you're an alcoholic for god's sakes but I was like, okay, I can do this. And then once I figured out, okay, I'm an alcoholic, I, it was really painful. So I went home and drank more alcohol to numb that pain. But it was a progression of like, okay, I'm going to quit drinking. And I would always make it to about five months because I wasn't really going all in and doing the inner work. And I would get stuck.
2: So I want to ask you about that. So mm-hmm. go through periods of sobriety where, mm-hmm. You thought, okay, I can do this. But you said you weren't doing the inner work. And so it didn't last. Tell me more about that. I felt like I
0: just switched addictions, just went into other unhealthy behaviors to also mask the pain, to also run away the same way I was running away with alcohol. And that would only lead me back to drinking. Right. And It finally got to the point where it was the night before my birthday in 2017 in October that I wanted to die. I was so ashamed. I was so suicidal. It was the worst birthday of my life. You know, I, I, I decided to go to treatment on that day that I knew that I was going to lose my marriage. My husband was done. And I was going to lose my family. All of this that I had been running from, I realized was everything that I ever wanted. And so I went to treatment and I was gone for 45 days. It was a women's treatment center in Texas. I planned on being gone for about 90 days because the longer you stay in treatment, the higher success rate you have. But they shut down. They gave us like a day to say, sorry, we're closing our doors. We're going out of business. Good luck to you. (laughs) So. I had the option of going to their sister facility in California, but I really wanted to come home. I felt like I was really ready. So I came home and it was in December and I was home in time for my daughter's birthday. I was home in time for Christmas. And let me tell you, that was the most meaningful Christmas ever. And shortly after that, everything was good. And then shortly after that, my emotions, my mental state was not good and ended up talking with my therapist and she highly suggested that I go talk to my doctor about the possibility of being bipolar. And sure enough, that was what my diagnosis was. And we tried a number of different cocktails of medications to try and level me out and would take some away and put some in. And that really was very difficult. One of the withdrawals from Paxil actually, which is a very hard drug to come off of just brain zaps and anxiety and like feeling like I'm going to die and shaking and uncontrollable crying. And it was awful. So that I relapsed during that time on alcohol. It was like, that was the only thing I knew to do. Um, I just couldn't manage. So I relapsed for a little while on that, but it was really beautiful because it didn't take me long to be like, no, this is not, not working. After you have a drink of real recovery and what that feels like alcohol is nasty
2: you don't want it anymore so a common expression that you hear in aa or i myself attend al-anon meetings is kind of that notion of yeah once you taste serenity Mm. Mm -hmm. like true serenity not disillusion, temporary, numbing serenity, but true serenity, those Mm -hmm. moments with your family on Christmas where you're sober Mm -hmm. and you're present, Mm -hmm. you realize the worth and value of that. And it sounds like it makes it easier to get back on the wagon and keep doing the work that you need to, because you have a sweet taste of what that looks like in your life of sobriety and recovery.
0: Yeah, that sobriety gives me everything that alcohol promised to give me. Yeah, when you say that the the feeling from the drinking was an illusion, it it was it was very much an illusion. It was a false sense of serenity, a false sense of peace, and even you know my I call it my spiritual vibration. When I'm drinking, I'm trying to find that, and it's a It's a fake version of it. And once I felt the real version of it, the high spiritual vibration, my connection with love, with my higher power, you can't, you can't go back to the fake one. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is no, this is no. So immediately once, if I would drink again, then it would be like, oh yeah, this this doesn't feel good at all. Like even the fake feeling of serenity isn't there anymore because I've tasted the real serenity.
2: So you tasted the real serenity. You tasted truth. Yeah. It sets you on this path of liberation. Mm -hmm. Uh, sounds like liberation in many ways, spiritually, mentally, in relationship to your family and loved ones, mentally, I bet physically, um, And now with She Can Be Free, Mm -hmm. it feels like you're trying to share that gift and that glimpse of what real peace and real serenity and health and wellness and connection and purpose can be. Yes, it's available to every single human
0: being. And I am incredibly passionate about getting that out there And I I actually just had someone ask me the other day, what is your, what is your roadblock? What would, what would it look like if you didn't do this or how, you know, what do you need to continue to do this? And it's like, there's nothing that's going to stop me because I love women and I want to be able to share my story to help them. Not that I'm, not that I'm the solution. I'm not. (laughs) to point them to the solution and say, Hey, come this way. Don't
2: go down that path anymore.
0: There's another path for you.
2: You're a sign you're a message to those who maybe you're in that pre contemplation stage where you used to be where you had that lingering suspicion, that lingering feeling that I have a problem, but I I don't know how or where to turn for help and the power of Peers sharing stories, sharing your own story with others. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for me personally, that's one of the reasons the the twelve step groups are so powerful, right? We identify yeah. with each other's stories, and it normalizes some of the maladaptive behaviors that maybe previously you had used in your life, right? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. You'll accept it, and so now you're trying to create more spaces like that for your fellow peers and women. Because once you see, you can't unsee. It's true. And there's no judgment, right? There's no judgment.
0: And that's. I feel like that's a little bit of a difference between just trying to go, I'm not knocking church. I'm not knocking religions or anything like that. But that can also be something that we hide behind and just try to do X, Y, and Z to be the good person to fit into this mold and that only lasts so long too. And so having this amazing non-judgmental community that accepts you and loves you and helps you walk towards walking <laughs> on your real legs <laughs> um is just so beautiful. Yeah.
2: So would you share with me Shannon your Maybe top 10 tools, right? You've been developing these tools in your toolkit on Mm -hmm. a recent podcast. You had someone share some of their own tools. You don't necessarily have to go into a full description, but if you look back over your journey and recovery, Mm -hmm. what are those things that have helped you the most?
0: There are tools, but I don't want them to become a checklist. I don't want them to become another way for me to feel like I have to perform. They're a way out, you know, so I will give you tools with the caveat that the tools are not the answer. It's part of the process. Okay. So what a day might look like for me today would be, this isn't perfect. I did not do it this morning because of the rain and I didn't sleep two nights the night before last and stuff. But what generally what a normal day will look like to me is that I try to get up before the kids. I do some, some readings, some meditation, some body work, yoga work to quiet my mind, to get out of that foggy brain that you wake up with that's telling me all the things that I need to do. And I do what, what are called morning pages. So I write three pages every morning, no matter what. And it could be, I don't have anything to say today. I don't have anything to say today. It can be, you know, poetry. It can be just venting. I find if there's a situation in my life that is that I'm struggling with, that if I just vent, all of a sudden the solution will appear and I will be able to see my part and understand that I don't have control over this other person. I have control over my behavior and how I respond to that person. And ultimately, it's my job to. Reparent myself, right? No one took care of me or protected me as a child, but I'm not that child anymore. I'm in a safe, wonderful place. And so I need to remind myself of that. And I don't need to accept unacceptable behavior. I had a very current situation with a family member where it was like, no, you don't, you don't get to talk to me that way. And that's that, you know? So being honest with myself also includes protecting little Shannon inside and say, no, it's okay, baby. I'm here to protect you,
2: you know. I think it's beautiful the way you've found the strength to reparent yourself. And also the beautiful gift that you're able to give your children mm, that little yeah. Shannon always wanted. Yeah. I watch my daughter as fiery
0: and spicy as she is. She's free. She's a child, and it is so redeeming. And I am not a perfect mother, but none of us are perfect. And if I can teach my daughter that, you don't have to be perfect. You can be free to be who you are. And just be a child and just enjoy life like it's it's so redeeming and so beautiful so and then some more if you want me to go back to tools community i have a women's aa group that i am a very consistent part of actually this coronavirus has caused us to meet every single day at noon online and i have we have grown closer than ever possible And I have gone to more meetings than I could have. I I was going to like one or two a week and now I go to five a week and it has been a very, very healing, transformative time to just really dig back into the meat of my program and having that connection with those women. I have tried to have very intentional time with our family. My husband completely switched his schedule around after the world fell apart. He quit his job and took a pay cut to be in education instead of, so he's a nurse, he's an RN. So now he's in education and trains RNs. And it was a pay cut because of, you know, all of the incentives from the weird hours and the extra hours and all of that. But God provided for us in ways that still blow my mind because we chose the right thing. Like you just have to, one of my favorite sayings is just keep doing the next right thing, the next right thing. And our family time, our children, my home, you know, that's, that's it. Like that's, that's it. We have five values that we try to live by. This is something that I encourage everyone to do, to write down your pillar values and look at what is in your life that is not aligning with those values and ditch it, you know?
1: So what are your five pillars?
0: Okay, you're going to put me on the spot. (laughs) Um, They are honesty, courage, love, family, and vulnerability. So when I was trying to decide whether to share my story publicly and, you know, go out there like naked in front of everyone and I sat down with my husband and we were like, Hey, let's look at our values. Does it line up with all of these? Hell yes, it does. Let's do it. I would love to share with everyone to listen to your inner guidance. It's there. If we drown out the noise, if we stop the numbing, the inner guidance is there and the answers are already within and the tools are out there. Help is available.